So my biggest lesson is consistency. First and foremost, you have to be consistent with the content you're putting out there. If you don't do that, you know, people will stop following you, to be honest. And I think that's one of the big keys to all of this is you have a personality driven business. You have to make sure you're staying in your lane. And when you begin to expand out of lane, make sure it's just, it stays relevant to the central theme of that company. Welcome to Top of Mind a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. We're currently living through a media boom like none other. Sure, the invention of the moving picture was probably a big deal, and I'm sure that I'd be saying something very similar had I been alive when the printing press was getting on its feet. But what makes this boom different is how companies have had to figure out ways to monetize their content in different ways than ever before. Rather than making money simply by selling physical books or audio tapes, companies of all types are having to find more creative ways to extract value from their audience. Welcome to the Attention Economy where every eyeball has a price and there's always a lineup willing to pay for it. To help us understand how the attention economy works and how we can better leverage its strengths, I've invited a friend who's focused his attention on learning how the masters have figured out the attention economy. He's a communications professional and the host of Mastering the Attention Economy. He also publishes a popular newsletter for communication professionals on his blog. Join me today, I've got Ari Lewis. Hey, Ari. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Stuart. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You've had some serious growth online from being very consistent in publishing your ideas and your thoughts. And that is uh, a trend that a lot of people are paying attention to on Twitter, at least, but maybe not so much in, in the rest of the world. And this idea that you actually can become your own media company and leverage your knowledge by being more public about it. And that kind of builds your credibility and your brand over time. What, what's been your biggest learning over the last couple of months as you've gone from figuring out where you want to be positioned to now having very good focus on what you're trying to build and who you're building it for? Yeah. So my biggest lesson is consistency. First and foremost, you have to be consistent with the content you're putting out there. If you don't do that, you know, people will stop following you, to be honest. I have a newsletter that like just went into my uh, inbox that I signed up for like a few months ago that was supposed to be weekly. And then I don't know where I got it. I like unsubscribed. I was like, why am I getting this now? I thought it was like a weekly newsletter. So I think consistency above all wins in the long run. Yeah. I'm finding that as well too. Like you just keep showing up and it'll be crickets for a while. But once you get your your group, your mojo, people start paying attention. And what I find too, is it's not like you seek them out, like they find you, which is a really weird part of how post posting online works. Like no matter what you're talking about, people will always find you. Yeah. That's been a big benefit that I didn't realize is just, I have random people like emailing me coming into my DMS and I've had a lot of benefits, both directly in terms of making money, but as well as indirectly in terms of um, access to things that I wouldn't have gotten access to. I got into, made two angel investments because of my Twitter. I made 
I signed my first creator deal, quote unquote, with a company because of Twitter. I I, I signed a customer because of Twitter. So it's it's things like that that you know I wasn't like looking for these people. They they came to me, and that was a a, a really amazing thing that I was so surprised by. So you've got a background in marketing and communications and writing, but what drove you to really narrow in on the attention economy? I've only been in the industry for about two years now when I started my agency. And the only reason I started it was I was the business development guy and my partner was the communications expert. And I've just learned a lot from him and, and was able to, you know, take a lot of things he's taught me and and, and and turned it into my own content. But in terms of, you know, getting to to the niche that I'm at now. It was, it was really just around beginning to see how my audience developed. So I didn't really know who I was writing for, right? I didn't even really know what I was writing about. I would write about media, brand strategy, communication strategy, social, you know, content. And I noticed that the majority of the people signing up for my newsletter were in the communication industry. So fairly recently, actually, I, I finally decided to change my copy around to really say like, this is a newsletter on how brands can earn attention for, you know, for communication professionals. So, right. I'm almost self excluding people from it. Like I don't want like paid media people in there because I don't write about paid, right? I know nothing about paid. I've never been on Facebook ads or Google ads. You know, I mostly focus on earned media, right? So PR, or I focus on, you know, content strategy and owned media or, or shared media, depending on, you know, who you talk to. And then, you know, I'll touch on brand strategy as well. And, and also like, it's not really for early stage founders. Like I think some of them will benefit from reading some of the stuff I do, but for the most part, you know, it's for the established company. I wrote about Ferrari last week and luxury positioning. And like, that's not something that, you know, a startup is thinking about. Maybe if they're like a direct to consumer brand, that's like going after. It's got tens know, of millions of dollars yeah. in funding. Yeah. But, but, but for the most part, right. You know, luxury positioning is like, you're, you're a big company and like you're diversifying your product lines and you might be starting a luxury offering. Like, how are you positioning yourself there? So, you know, it's really for established companies and, and, and larger companies and stuff where they'll have a dedicated communication person, dedicated PR person or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of that focus for you has come from interviewing some of the best in the business through your podcast, but mastering the attention economy. So you've been interviewing media people, PR people, communications people, what are some of the foundations or the foundational principles that these people understand that most people overlook? Yeah. So one of the, the and this might not answer your, your question, but it's, I think, relevant is that they all talked about expertise and how like they never thought of themselves as experts. And I, I think I feel the same way at times is like what, what a lot of these, you know, quote unquote thought leaders, you know, begin to realize is once you just write about it or you practice it a lot, you know, people just begin to, you know, believe what you're saying and, and trust what you're saying. And it's, it's kind of funny. So like, when you ask me that question, it's, it's funny to me because it's like, we just trust what they're telling us is absolutes. Right. And, and I find that as such an interesting perspective, but in terms of like, I think things that I've, I've learned from them, you know, it's one that brand is so important. And, you know, there was a recent Piper Sandler report that just came out about Gen Z and one of the interesting findings in it was that brand and trends were more important than pricing and quality for, for Generation Z consumers. And one of the things that you know, I felt was talked about a lot, a lot 
from a lot of these larger company execs that I speak to is not just building a brand, but protecting the brand. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people, you know, you see on Twitter, you hear about in the community, right? Where, you know, so many people are focused on like, how do I build our social? How do I build our community? How do I build our content? out? But what happens when you already have a brand? How do you protect that brand and make sure that it stays relevant and stays consistent? And I just wrote an article today that is about actually that in in the sense that, you know, you have some of these companies that are very successfully positioned, you know, you think of a company like Apple, right? It's super luxury product, very well positioned, but how are they connecting with the next generation of consumers? And what we're seeing is you can't just dump money into paid traffic, right? It's not as valuable as it once was. Like, yes, Facebook and Google ads, they they have value in in some respects. And now you see Snapchat and TikTok ads, but part of it, is also, you know, how do you build that loyalty to the customer that people like they want Apple? They don't just want Apple because they see their ads. They want Apple because their friends are using Apple. They want Apple because celebrities are using Apple, that it it stands for something and there's meaning to it. So I think that's been a big thing in that, you know, how do you protect the brand and how do you make sure that consistency stays from generation to generation? So you're not just a direct to consumer brand that is existing for 10 years. You're a company that in 2020 will exist in two, will exist in 2120. Yeah. Yeah. You've written a bit about a bit more about that succession idea of, um, with the kind of rise of internet personalities, you've got people with massive followings and they can drive a lot of attention towards the companies that they either work for, have founded, are doing a brand deal with, but sometimes those companies don't necessarily own that audience. It's owned by that individual. As an example, you could have like a CEO who, before they founded the company, was just like a very famous person on Twitter. And they've got tens of thousands of people. And then when they started the company, they had this, this wave of, of early adopters because they, people knew, liked, and trusted that person because of their Twitter, not because of what the company offers. What, what other... are what kind of trends are you seeing with that succession idea of of media companies or branded companies needing to figure out how to to pass the torch from kind of current leadership to what the leadership might look in the future? Yeah, so I probably talked about them a bit too much, but I think Barstool is a good example, right? Right? You know, Dave Portnoy was sort of that figurehead. I mean, is still that figurehead. You know, he's built out a community. They call themselves Stoolies, but they've you know his demographic is eighteen to thirty men. And, you know, now you're seeing them diversify with people like Alexandra Cooper. You know, she has what is probably a top 10 podcast, you know, give or take, depending on the day of the week in the world. And, you know, Portnoy talks about this where they've actually like when he went on the uh, Instagram to share what an update about Caller Daddy, the, the people who would watch Caller Daddy or listen to it didn't know who Dave Portnoy was. They didn't even know that it was associated with Caller Daddy or, or Barstool was associated with Caller Daddy, which was like completely shocking to me. I mean, I think that sort of shows to you how to expand beyond that. And I think you have right two types of companies. You have these personality-driven companies. So a, a thing like you know Barstool with, with Portnoy. But I think you also see with some of these tech companies, I think Zuckerberg and Facebook are, are so intertwined. I think you know Apple and Steve Jobs were so intertwined of like, you know, could Apple survive without jobs? And, you know, you saw what happened the first time it couldn't, but now it's, I think, done um, a, a good job. I think though one of the threats that that Apple's right now probably under is, you know, are they beginning to give up some of this luxury positioning that they have? And that, you know, that is something that I think is one of the biggest trade-offs is, you know, when you have this succession plan, you have to ensure that innovation continues at a company. So, you know, 
we, yes, protecting the brand, as I mentioned, is important, but you have to tie that in with making sure that you still are making accelerations on the on, on the, the innovation front and going back to Ferrari, because I just, I'm fascinated by that company. I think, you know, Enzo Ferrari died 1978 or something like that. I think over 30 years ago now, and Ferrari has continued to position itself as the luxury car maker, right? They're the number one strongest brand in, in the world, you know, based on this, this company that ranks uh, a brand strength. And, you know, it's interesting because they've done that because they've stayed in their lane. And I think that's like one of the big keys to all of this is, you know, you have a personality driven business. You have to make sure you're staying in your lane and, and that, you know, when you begin to expand out of lane, make sure it's just, it stays relevant to the central theme of that company. So I think, you know, we, we've seen it with companies like Ferrari have done a really good job transitioning from founder led to, you know, having a more broader management structure, but, you know, it'll be interesting how a company like Barstool, when Fortnite leaves, you know, what will they do, right? Like, are, 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 are they doing a smart job of building this personality out and building the brand? Or is it, you know, are they too interlinked and too dependent? Mm, yeah, yeah. Especially when they're, especially when the company's named after the last name of the, of the founder, that becomes a tricky. <laughs> yeah. And that's like a big you know, piece of advice. They always say this in like insurance companies, like never name your, your company, your last name, because it actually lowers the value of your company. So if anyone's starting a company out there, don't use their name. <laughs> gears a little bit and start talking about what it means to be a media company because that term gets thrown around a fair bit when people say or the, the saying goes is every product company or every tech company or now it's just gone to every company needs to think of themselves as a media company can you can you help me to to understand what are the core inner workings of a media company and then we can kind of talk a bit about what why companies should be even think considering that yeah. So, you know, I'll just use Grammarly as an example, you know, media content, we'll, we'll use them interchangeably, right? Like I think when, when we say like every product company is becoming a media company, I think the one thing that like is important to understand is you're not having like original reporting at these companies. So I think like one of the key drivers of many media companies, not all of them, right? I think uh, Morning Brew is a good example where it's, I think one of really the few media companies that's driven by curation. They don't do any original reporting. Mm -hmm. I think they've begun to do a bit of it, but not. But it's not really a, a, a focus. I mean, it's you know why Business Insiders is, is supposedly buying them. But you know, when when I talk about these companies becoming media companies, it means developing content that that they own and and that is is driving you know traffic to their site that ultimately results in customers because. You know, what we've seen and as a recurring theme that I always talk about is, you know, you can't rely on paid traffic. It's it's not the end all to be all. You need to diversify that. So, you know, things like SEO strategy is important. So take a company like Grammarly. Grammarly has built out a blog that I think they have now over like 2,500 articles. And their goal was to rank high on keywords relevant to grammar. So like you look up, where do I put a colon? Where do I put a comma? you know, when, when does a period go in a sentence? When do I use an and, you know, whatever they are always ranked high and that took them years to do. And if you, if you think about that, that's like really interesting because Grammarly is a product company at its core, but like they had this huge content arm that they've built out. And I think, you know, that is something that companies really need to look at and take a hard look at and say, how can we do this for our company? Because 
you can't just rely on having a great product. I think that's a huge myth. Distribution is so important. And you and you've seen that with like key technology drivers over the years of like things like DVD versus blue blue Blu-ray. You know, why did DVD win? You know, because it was it was more popular, right? Some some argue to this day that Blu-ray is a superior technology. So, you know, we, 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 we need to realize that this, this distribution is, in my opinion, more important to even then product. Like it's important to have a good product, but you know, the best product doesn't win. Distribution always wins in the long run. And then, so, okay. So, so when we say here the term media company, we're actually trying to, you should put our lens on and just make it more of a a content company. They just need to have some type of arm where they're contributing to the culture or putting out valuable inside like information or infotainment where it's equal parts entertaining as it is uh, informational. Something at least that attracts the types of people who would find value in what the product could offer them. And it yeah, acts as like a touch point. Yeah. Like almost the better word is probably a curation company, but that doesn't sound as cool. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that's why I, I think every company's media company will, will stay at that, at that, you know, that will continue to be the expression moving forward. But yeah, probably the best description is every company should be a curation company right. of being the place where their customers can, their key customers will find the information and then hopefully convert them. Right. So Say you're focused on my goal is to be selling chief accounting officers on some product, right? It doesn't matter if it's a software product, a consulting product, whatever it is. Then your goal is to figure out how do you create a content company that complements your business that targets chief accounting officers, right? So that could be stuff like we're going to host a podcast once a week with chief accounting officers. We're going to invite chief accounting officers to contribute on our newsletter. We're going to invite chief accounting officers to contribute to a state of the chief accounting officer report, whatever it is, content that's relevant to them, they'll encourage them to participate. Because I think the secondary effect that that has is it's also much easier to pitch customers. You know, when you go to a, a, a customer who's a chief accounting officer and you're like, hey, I want to sell you this product and you're cold emailing them or whatever, they're probably not going to respond, right? Like, But then the pitch isn't, oh, I want you to pay for my product. Hey, I'm inviting you onto my podcast. Whoa. Whoa, so different. They're going to be like, well, you're inviting me. I'm a thought leader. And then you can get, start talking to them and building a relationship and be like, oh, well, what do you do? It's like, oh, funny you asked. We sell products to chief accounting officers. Oh, that's so interesting. Can you tell me more? And you've just went from someone who's annoying them by trying to cold sell them to you're doing them a favor now. And now it's more likely than ever that you can sell them your product. And I think that's the underrated part about the curation side of it is yes, you can curate existing information. Like you can just what some of these newsletters do is they just take the best articles from the three or five different tech or media comp- media blogs that they follow and then just curate them and say, hey, these are the best ones that I read this week. Or you could do it the other way and curate the people you have on, which is kind of what podcasts do is you're you're curating a list of people who you admire and just based on their area of expertise, they'll have cool stuff to say and that you're kind of growing that curation library just by talking with them. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally agree with that. Those, you know, both those strategies work well. A kind of a, t- a tactical question, but if you had a, let's say a software product, either I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to do a we'll do uh, chief accounting officer software? 
Okay, we'll do a cheap accounting ops software. Uh, I guess you kind of covered this then. I was going to say, what kind of content would you invest in first? Yeah, so, and I'll, I'll, I'll you know, expand it. So, so it's, it's more tactical because I think I was very strategic about it. Is you want to build out the flywheel and it's like this obsession word that we hear on Twitter and everywhere. And like, what does that flywheel look like? So you want to start really, really simple. Don't like try to do nine different things. Start with one thing. I always recommend the first thing people should start off with is an interview series. And that interview series should be uh, actually over email. So like a really easy, simple way to do this is you speak to a bunch of chief accounting officers, you ask them to speak to them over the phone, but you tell them that the interview is over email. Why do you want to speak to them over the phone? It gives you an excuse to build a relationship with them. And then you can also tell them like, we create the questions over the phone and then you email them the questions. And there's a few reasons why I think that's always like probably the number one content to start off with. One, it allows you to start building a relationship, but two, it also allows you to lever that person's audience for your own audience. So I think people forget a lot about aligning incentives and that, you know, again, going back to distribution, it's not just about great content. It's about what encourages people to share content. And it's either they're being promoted and mentioned in it. So they'll promote it because obviously it's selfish reasons, or maybe there's a referral system, right? It's, you know, Morning Brew's done a good job of this, of, you know, someone can win a car or someone can win sneakers or whatever. And I find those so funny too, because I remember jet.com had this like insane referral program where someone would win stock in the company. And like, I think some guys spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars to like win the product. And it was funny though, because that ended up being a good decision because the company sold to Walmart and he made like millions of dollars on the stock. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not going to be the case always. So like, I do find it funny how like these insane referral programs where it's like one person wins a car and it's being sent to a million people. You're not going to win, but like, again, people think they're going to win. So they're, they're willing to share it. And it's such a low cost expense for the company. The cost of getting that million emails would have been way higher than the $50,000 car. Yeah, exactly. And like, also their our audience are probably going after is more targeted and, and it's probably a higher conversion rate than them dumping, say it's 50,000 for the car versus putting 50,000 into Facebook ads, I bet you the car converts better. So you'd like to start with the email question, the kind of written interview style, because then once you have that interview recorded, you then email it back to them and say, thanks so much, like pass this along to your friends and who else should we talk to? Yeah, you could ask them, hey, can you share that? And yeah, you could ask them, hey, who can I speak to? Uh, I also think it develops social proof for a company. So right, say you're the chief accounting officer, I don't know, McDonald's. Like you get them as your third interview. Someone goes on your website, like you have two interviews with some no-name company and then you have McDonald's on there. They're like, oh, wow, McDonald's. And like somehow they, like, even though McDonald's might not use the product at all, they somehow think you're associated with McDonald's when you're not. And that like helps you. So it's, it, it, that's a, that's a huge benefit of like, you get those name brands on there and you, and you create social proof that like you didn't even realize you're creating. And so then would that live on your website? You have let's say you do 10 of these interviews and then you have 10 kind of chief accounting officer series living on your website. Yeah, correct. For the most part. I mean, there are like, like I think Verizon media just came out with like some media company they started. And like, I think it's a different domain and different brand. I'm not sure where they're going with them. Like drawing a blank on the name, but for the most part, like simple rule of thumb is yeah. It should just be like live on your website, be the same brand. You call it a blog. There's exceptions, but like they're far and few between. Okay, cool. So that starts the flywheel's momentum. Yeah, correct. What would the next step be? 
it really depends on on how that goes and and where you you know like do you want to start creating content you know do you want to start curating content do you want to keep building on like the relationships you've built right like you get the chief accounting officer to of mcdonald's maybe you go like hey we're starting a interview series want to do a quarterly contribution and then he's going to be like oh sure because like it sounds weird like the guy works at mcdonald's probably making like half a million dollars at least but the reality is he probably doesn't have many places to showcase his thought leadership like how many cheap like internal accounting media things are there right probably not that many so like he's like oh this is awesome like this is the place to go for chief accounting officers and i think psychology is so important to a lot of this, right? People are so motivated by, you know, their, their, their ego and, and getting their name out there. And, and some of it is positive too. Like I'd be lying to you. Like if I didn't want to get my name out there. Right. But like, I don't think it's ego driven. I, I think it's more like it makes me more successful and helps me. Well, yeah. I mean, and in a lot of those positions too, you're, you're kind of hidden behind the, the, the company, you don't actually get to put your name on anything. So this is kind of a, a low risk, no risk way of just having like them testing the waters and be like, oh, when I go, when I don't longer work at McDonald's, when I go independent, now I've got a p- few pieces of content to to lean on. Correct. Cool. cool. And then so then based on how that well that goes, and then kind of the number, like the kind of people you're trying to attract, you would then and start investing into some kind of have more editorialized version of that, whether it's adding another channel through like podcasting or video or something. Yeah. It just depends. You want to test, see what works for you. Right. Like maybe, you know, your audience never listens to podcasts. Like don't build the podcast. Right. Maybe you're selling enterprise and like SEO is like stupid. So like don't do SEO. Right. Maybe like SEO is super important. And like, it's like a spur of the moment, like small business type product where like you need to get like millions of customers. So like SEO is really important, you know? So it, it just depends. You want to tra- te- you know, test everything. Testing is so important. Test, test what works, see what works. And, 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 you know, you want to rely on what does the information say and, and what does your gut tell you? It's probably mm-hmm. 60% gut, 40% information that you're being told. Yeah. No, that that's awesome. Ari. I think that's the, that's the, 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 part that everyone skips is it all these massive media companies or content companies, whatever you want to call them, always start with one person saying, you know what, I've got pretty good taste. I think I'm going to send an email or I think I'm going to post a blog or I think I'm going to host a podcast. Like that's, that's how they all start. That's how, (laughs) that's how the show started. Exactly. Exactly. Sweet man. Let's, let's wrap up talking a little bit about your specific kind of personal media company that you're building and how you're thinking about that flywheel in the short term and then and then long term if you're if you're comfortable sharing a little peek behind the curtain. But you so you've got you're writing all the time, you're podcasting weekly, you're you're putting stuff on on YouTube as well. What are what what's kind of like your short one to six month plan with where you're gonna use that to propel you? And then what would be the next two or three year long term thinking? Yeah. So my content right now is, is read mostly by like larger companies, specifically like people who work in communication for them or PR or content or social. And what we realized is that there's really no community for communication professionals. So I'm moving all my content under a um, brand. It's not announced yet, 
probably be announced in the next couple of weeks. And it's going to be a, a community with content and, you know, there'll be a podcast and guest pieces and news and hopefully a job board and stuff like that. We're still working on exactly what, what the product will look like from a, from a flywheel perspective in the beginning. And, and that's where, you know, a, a good, a good portion of my time is going to be spent on. And, you know, what we're doing is like, I'm moving out of like tactical consulting, right. And, and moving towards, you know, more like recurring revenue from a community, you know, well, we're going to try to do like speaking or like presentations, maybe the occasional strategy type work stuff. And then I think potentially a good way to complement that is I'm beginning to make angel investments. You know, I'd love to at some point like raise a syndicate or raise a rolling fund, probably a syndicate is, is more likely where I can, you know, leverage my relationships to, you know, help smaller early stage founders. What I, what I see is that, you know, they're probably not going to pay money to join a community because like communication is not their focus, but they also like when they raise a million dollars, they shouldn't be going out and spending 40 grand on a PR agency. It's like a waste of money and they, they need to learn how to do it in-house. So I think, you know, there's an opportunity to sort of build a, you know, whether it's an angel investor or a fund that, that assists these founders on their communication strategy, on their PR strategy, on their content strategy. And, you know, they won't have to pay for it, right? It's like I'm investing in them and, you know, right. giving, giving them the advice for free um, because I'm an investor and, and want the equity to go up. Yeah. Yeah. Right on that. Well, that's a, that's a really nice segue from just showing the value you can bring from knowing how to tactically do the flywheel, and, but also how to kind of leverage your niche knowledge and build value for other companies. Everyone should go check out Ari's Wicked on Twitter, amlewis4, and then also check out arilewis.com for all his uh, newsletter and blog posts. Thanks so much, Drew, for having me on. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.